back in 09 when we came to Silicon, you know, came we moved to California to, to start our company. And again, we were able to find an investor who took a chance on us. I mean, I think that's kind of how, what the dreams of Silicon Valley are built on, kind of a bit of our story. Uh, you can yeah. be nobody. You can come here. You have, a, you know, big, big eyes, big ambition, big ambition, you know, some good early um be smart with some of your initial things and people will take a chance on you without having to know you. Welcome to Array Podcast, the platform to discover hacks and skills you need at different stages of building your business. I'm your host, Shruti Gandhi, founder and managing partner of Array Ventures. Array Ventures invest in founders focused on solving problems, leveraging big data, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. Visit us on array.vc. It's amazing how a company that was a mere dream eight years ago has become a core part of the internet infrastructure today, making websites more secure and scalable. Cloudflare sees all kinds of traffic and attacks from neo-Nazis, largest phishing attacks, political campaigns, before you know about it. Tighten your seatbelts to get on a roller coaster with Cloudflare's co-founder, Michelle Zatlin, and her journey to becoming a fast unicorn from her early days of starting Cloudflare at Harvard Business School with her co-founders, Matthew Prince and Lee Holloway. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, We are super excited and we've been trying to schedule this time for for months now, so I'm I'm super excited. Me too. Thanks so much for having me, Shruti. It's it's great to be here. Awesome, Michelle. So, Michelle, I I will start with... um, um, how did you raise money in 2009? Uh, yeah. Um, so we, uh, there, in my experience, there are two ways to raise money. There's one based on a vision or um, two based on traction. And if you have a business and you have metrics, especially if you have customers or revenue, traction is terrific, um, but if you're a really early stage company, sometimes you need the money to be able to get to traction. And so it's a little bit of a chicken and egg. And so um, back in 2009, when we raised our Series A, it was in November of 2009 when it closed. Uh, if you think about that, it was the summer of 2009, and the economy was not in a good place. It was right after October 08, the financial collapse. Um, it was not a good time to be raising money. And we had moved out here after business school, Matthew and I, and we had been working on Cloudflare, and we just felt like we were all making progress, uh, but we really needed to raise capital to help build out to prove our vision. And so we um, did not pitch a lot of venture capitalists. In fact, we've pitched very few investors, and we went to people who really understood the problem set, and um, we got introduced to... Destina Tuncheva early on, who was a security, who was an associate at Venrock, who worked for Ray Rothrock, who's a very distinguished security investor. And, you know, she met with us, spent time, she's like, this is really interesting, and, and got us in front of Ray really quickly. And the first time we met Ray, he said, I think what you're doing is interesting. I've done 15 security investments in my career. I can see you, you know, if Cloudflare does what you say it will do, it will basically open up the market, democratize security. And I think that's interesting. And he had done Checkpoint, before, um, you know, earlier in his career, he had done Imperva. So he had done a lot of security investments. And he said, I have um, the authority to write a $500,000 check right here without checking up with the rest of my partnership. 
And uh, it was a Friday afternoon. And again, we were very, very early stage founders who desperately needed the money. And uh, Matthew, my business partner, said, no, that's not enough. We need more than that. And he said, okay. Ray said, okay, well, you have to come back and pitch my partnership. And so at that point, we got ready. We came in. We, we pitched his partnership. And we ended up raising just over $2 million for our Series A, which in today's terms seems like nothing. A $2 million Series A is now like a, a, a seed round. But back in 2009, that was kind of what the deal sizes were. We did straight to an A. Angel investing was nowhere near as popular as it was today. And if you look at Venrock's uh, portfolio, that was the only tech deal they did in all of 2009. Uh, wow. It just was a really wow. bad time. It just was a hard time. The venture capitalists were very picky where they put money. And so it comes back to my thing of we told a really great story. We had a great vision. Of course, we had some traction. We didn't have traction in terms of customers, but we had you know a working prototype. We had some interesting uh, uh, initial customer set, set segments to go after. We kind of had an initial team. But it was really based on this vision uh, of the story, and we just got the right person who I think what he would say was, well, for $2 million, and he ended up putting 1.3 in, and another investor put in 700000 although he would have done all of it himself. Um, in his mind, he said, "That's I want the option of seeing whether you can do what you said you do. Because if you do, this is going to be worth a lot, and I want to get in early. And so that was what I think he was saying. So back to, again, if you're a founder and you're early, you either raise money on the vision or on traction. And a lot of people have a really hard time doing the former and, and the latter. It's very difficult. But if you can get it in front of the right person, I think the way they, the investor thinks about it, and again, Trudy, maybe you can chime in here, it's they think of it as an option of whether you can actually, if you do what you say you're going to do, there's a lot of upside. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty common now. But in 2009, I would say, um, as you said, they made one investment. That was a big bet, right? Um, and to convince partnerships to to rally and to kind of put in the check in a team that they don't know for that long, someone really took a bet on you, right, in a good way. Yes. No, definitely. Yeah, no, definitely. And, I, and again, I think we, I mean, we did not, he did not, we didn't, um, you know, what I think is interesting is, and, and you know, the, uh, there's lots of, um Lots of other cities who are trying to emulate what we've done in the Valley, which is great for the economy around the world. Our, back in 09, when we came to Silicon, you know, came we moved to California to, to start our company. And again, we were able to find an investor who took a chance on us. I mean, I think that's kind of how what the dreams of Silicon Valley are built on, kind of a bit of our story. Uh, you can yeah. be nobody. You can come here. You have, a, you know, big, big eyes, big ambition, big ambition, you know, some good early um to be smart with me or initial things and people will take a chance on you without having to know you. And, and, and again, I think I feel like the Valley works for us. The, the promise of the Valley works very well for us for that initial round. So we've been very fortunate. I mean, that's actually a really good point, right? Um, Silicon Valley is for people whose dreams get made. Uh, people, you know, we see sometimes I've referred, call themselves as I'm Kingmaker. Um, I help, people realize their dreams. All that is awesome. But getting to that point and convincing um, that investor to take that leap of faith in you is very hard. And now with more information out there and more and more success stories, there are more and more returns in tech, more uh, and more 
folks and founders are, are flocking to Silicon Valley, how would you say um, a founder should differentiate themselves to to in order to get that first meeting with the right investment partner, and from there on to really win their trust and to you know invest and to invest in you? Yeah, I mean the it's. So first of all, I just want to say for the founders listening, I mean, it was, I mean, at this point, I've raised $182 million over four rounds and, and it's always hard, even though we've lived a very charmed existence, it's still <laughs> difficult. Um, and so I think sometimes, you know, you read these stories online and it just seems like people are writing these checks and it's so easy. And I, that's just, in my experience, that's not even when there's a positive outcome, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a fun exercise or, or to do to have on your list. Um, and, you know, fundraising is not really, it's not an accomplishment. It's not something really to be proud about. Uh, it's just, it, to me, it was, a, you know, it's better to get paid by customers. That's much better, uh, much, much better route. Uh, uh, but in our case, we needed some capital to help fuel the initial seed our business. And so, so I just want to, again, sometimes I think that this, there's kind of a rock star status to raising money, which really should not be there. It's like, it's not a very fun process. It's hard for everybody, even when people think it makes it sound easy. It, there's just lots of things that go on behind the, the scenes that can really, um, if you do it, if you, if you, if you make the wrong decision, you can really uh, be a consequential for your business long-term. Uh, so I just want to preface it with that. So back to your question of how do you do it? Well, again, I think that it comes back to you either raise money on a vision or on traction. Again, we, we had this big vision of what we were trying to do, but of course it's just, you can't just have an idea. You have to show that you've made progress on it. And so for us, you know, we talked a lot about the problem, like what the problem was that we were, we were solving. Um, and we were, talking a lot about the problem we were trying to solve. And then we had a lot of um, proof points from our customer segments through survey results mm-hmm. and whatnot that really, you know, that, that in, the, in, the, in the eyes of the customer that spoke. And so let me give you an example. We did a, a survey and to a bunch of website owners to say, okay, how much time do you spend on web security? And these were really, you know, web, small website owners, small businesses. What do you do to protect yourself? And, and there were kind of open comments. And, like, the answers would be things like this. Web spammers make me believe in the death penalty. Web spammers are thieves on, of the Internet. They steal resources, and they should be penalized. And they're, they're mm. really heartfelt reactions that clearly, when you read these, I mean, it wasn't my words. It was these customer, you know, this target customer that we were going after, where, like, clearly there was such a visceral reaction to what they thought about um, uh threats online and how, and then you ask them, well, how do you protect yourselves from these sorts of attackers? And none of them were using, they were all using kind of homegrown Band-Aid solutions. And mm-hmm. and so very clearly we said there is a technology, you could leverage technology to solve this problem. And so that was kind of the vision that we shared. And so an investor who knew a lot about the problem and they're like, I totally get this. And so if you really can build this global network that's fine-tuned for performance and security, and the distribution model works. And for us, we weren't software, we weren't hardware. We said we're, it's going to be a simple change to your DNS. And no one was doing that back in 2009. We said, that's just an easy thing. People can sign up in less than five minutes. We had to decrease the friction to using our service. 
that was kind of the story we packed that we we told the vision and again we had to made some progress on different pieces we had a working prototype and whatnot and again to an investor who knew a lot about this segment they said i want to be see whether you can if you execute on this i want to have ownership in it and says here's two million dollars to go see if you can make it happen and, and and again and i think that that is other entrepreneurs can again take that story and then make it their own because I think that that's happened many times in other different ways where it's you know a lot about something you're on to something investors will say okay here's I'm going to write you a check to see whether you can actually execute based on what you're saying to me but then that means to get your B round your C round your D round you have to execute right and so that's when the pressure is <laughs> on there's you know you have to actually make progress and get people using it and actually you know, uh, have customer feedback and show that you're actually delivering real value to the marketplace and that there's a market opportunity here. And, and again, I think that's what we did well for the subsequent rounds, that if you if you raise on a vision, eventually it comes down to traction. Do you have the traction? That's the only way you're going to get the follow-on investment. Yeah, yeah, and that's getting harder and harder these days. So a couple follow-up questions. Um, let's, let's start with the uh, more easier one. So what kind of, so you said you had a community of people kind of describing all these painful ways, um, you know, emotional ways of what they did not like. Um, but did you ask them what they would be willing to pay for that? Um, and how many of these survey responses did you have? Was it in hundreds or thousands or tens? Hundreds. Oh, so we had, so, okay, so the survey that I was referencing, we basically had sent a survey to 500 uh, website owners, and we had 150 replies. So it's actually a pretty high response rate for a survey. And so we had 150 survey responses. Um, and again, that's just one uh, example of kind of progress that we had uh, with who had these, um, that had these, uh, so again, shared these sentiments, these visceral reactions. Uh, and and you know you ask them to rate like how much they care about this problem or whatnot. The you know the willingness to pay I think is interesting. Uh, we didn't ask a lot of that in this early survey because we just didn't feel like it was useful information. Um, mm -hmm. Now having said that, uh, now having said that as a business owner, obviously at the end of the day you have to drive revenue. Otherwise you don't what what you 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 have to collect gather value. You have to be able to to capture value for what you're building. Um, that's really important to be able to hire people and, and pay rents and, and whatnot. Um, and so, you know, for us, we had built a business case. And, um, you know, I think we just, for us, we thought there's definitely a market where folks will pay for this service. And we looked at some, I guess, complementary type services. You know, if you own, a, if you have an internet property, a website or an app, you have to buy, you have to register a domain that costs money. You have to host it somewhere <laughs> that also costs money. And so we kind of had some, even if you don't want to pay, very, spend very much, you still, there's things you have to spend money on. And so we use some of those um, comparables to help us figure out, you know, some of our early pricing strategies um, to help drive adoption. And, you know, again, I think, Seven years later, of course, there's things that I would probably do differently, but it works the simplicity of how we set up our pricing up front. We basically had a free plan, a $20 a month plan, a $200 a month plan, or if you're a larger enterprise, it was um, on average, they pay $60,000 a year and it's a contract. 
I mean, the simplicity of our pricing model works very well for the first five years of our growth. I, I'm going to come back to my second question in a sec, but let's stick to this. So what do you think you do differently, you said? Um, and I think the more more question that's coming top of mind is, you know, you're a billion-dollar business, and did you think that would happen with this pricing plan, right? Like, um, you need a lot of customers to get to that. So how did you do your back of the, you know, envelope math here to get to the stage you're today? Yeah, so, okay, so the first, and again, I think that, um, again, as I think back to early-stage founders when I was sitting, it's, I mean, it's so easy to build a, a business plan. Well, it's not that easy, but you can put numbers on a spreadsheet. And it's like fewer than 2% of businesses actually ever hit that business plan, especially your first one. It's, and, and, you know, now, today, I mean, we do well over $100 million in revenue and whatnot. And any public company, you have to be much better at predicting your revenue stream. But, like, when you're small, it actually you don't have to be very good at predicting your revenue stream. That becomes a much more bigger problem. Like, that becomes a much more important function to nail um, once you're over $50 million in revenue. Uh, and, so, and so let me just preface with that. But, but so I, I would, when I was really early, we, we used some of these um, uh, tools to help us, which, again, as an early-stage founder listening, hopefully this will be useful. So the first was... Um, we knew for Cloud, so Cloudflare, what Cloudflare does performance, security, and reliability for any internet property. So you have a website, an app, an API. We will help make it fast, safe, and reliable around the world. So how do we do that? We have a global network. So we don't build on top of Google Cloud or Microsoft Azure or AWS. We've basically bought our own hardware, and we have 115 locations around the world where we have hardware, and that's how we make the internet faster, safer, and more reliable on behalf of our customers. So that means we have big cap capital expense costs as a business. And when we were starting our business, we knew that was the case. We knew that this is not something we could finance on our credit card. And this is part of the reason why we went to like um, professional investors very early. It'll be different for other businesses, but for us, this was our thinking. And so because of that, very early on, Matthew and I said to each other, Cloudflare's either making a double, like having a double home run with like a double, like a hitting a double with Cloudflare makes no sense because either you do the CapEx investment and we build a really big company or it doesn't make sense as a business because the business model won't support it. And so we kind of knew early on that it was either going to be a big business or that we would quickly find out it wasn't going to work as a business. So we had that theory mm -hmm. and that, that was a theory that kind of carried us very early days of we want to prove out that there's a business here. And again, and, and again, we had a business model and whatnot, but you, again, you learn so much early on. And again, we had investors who said, okay, yeah, we understand you've got to go figure these things out. So again, here's $2 million to go figure it out. And again, it was up to us to go figure it out. Um, so, so it's kind of, again, we either going to be a big business or not. And then we've asked ourselves many times in between of, like, is there a good business here? Because there's always hiccups, right? You're like, oh, wow, like, what's the right price? Are we pricing it right? Or do we have enough customers? Or are we not? But if you just take a step back and you get out of the weeds once in a while as a business owner, you know, as a founder, you say, okay, being honest, do we think we have a viable business here? And we always came back to yes. And that was our North Star. And again, now today we do, again, well over $100 million in revenue. Our gross margins are over 70%. Like we have a good, and, and so I think we've proven it out, but if you take in, 
you know, little snippets of time, it might not have always felt like that. And so sometimes separating the wheat, like kind of the forest from the trees is really important and um, having that perspective. And so I think that's kind of how I thought about it. So really early stage is, is there a business opportunity here? And then you got to go prove it out. And then as you prove it out, just continue to check in. Is is this a good business or not? And we always kept when coming back think, to yes, it's a good business here. Well, well, so what do you mean by it's a good business? I mean, you can you can stay busy and look like you're doing a lot and you're almost on the brink of like some big contract or, you know, some customer signing up in like a, a day or two, but it's now a few months down. So what is the true north you talk about? Like, how do you really evaluate that? Is it um, some sort of a growth metric, revenue metric? What What is it? Like, what, do, what, you know, there's always a few group of customers that want you to be alive, but how do you know it's uh, more of a, a large, big business that, that you talk about? Yeah, I mean, so I so for us, for a long time, and again, this is different, Paul Graham, you know, with YC, I mean, I mean, a lot of Y Combinator, whatnot, I mean, there's a lot of information about about um, picking metrics early. I think, you know, for us, we did not use revenue as a metric for a long time because it was not moving very fast for us at first because we mm-hmm. had to build a network before we get people to pay us. And so we just purposefully never used revenue as a metric of whether we were being successful or not. And I think that was a very good choice on our behalf because um, if we had used revenue as a metric, then I think a lot of people on our team would be disappointed. Our investors would be disappointed. And if you're, if you don't feel like you're making progress, you will die as a company. Momentum is the most important thing as an early stage founder. And so, and so again, today we look at revenue, but we definitely yeah. did not for the first several years. So we picked other metrics that changed much more quickly to help measure whether we were making progress. And so, again, it's going to be different things for different businesses, but, you know, something like, for example, page views was an important metric for us for the first many years because, you know, we had we had customers signing up, right, and customer counts, when you're small, change slowly. So we had customer counts, mm-hmm. but sometimes it would change slowly. Um, but page views was you know, gave you a sense of how many customers and the size of those customers. So it was, you know, that we mm-hmm. were powering on behalf of our customers. How many page views were we making faster and more secure and more reliable on a daily basis? And that metric changed very quickly. And, you know, again, looked, and, and so these were, and so, so what did that mean for us? Being? It was, okay, customers are signing up. They're putting bigger and bigger um, domains on us which meant they trusted us more and that there is a a good market opportunity here, even if the revenue was was a kind of a lagger. In a lot of ways, what revenue can sometimes be a lagging indication, not a leading indicator. And so, again, we, we started with this, this big um, self-serve business where there was a lot of uh, businesses that were, uh, you know, customers that were on our free plan or $20 a month plan and again, if you're charging someone $20 a month, you're right, your revenue, is, it's hard to build a really big business if you're only charging people $20 a month. But then we got better and our product got better and we added the $200 a month plan and then it got even better and now we're selling enterprises at $60,000. Now we're selling companies at a million dollar plus, but that took seven years. And 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 so it just, it's, um, it's, it's how we kind of approached it that I think was interesting. But again, coming back to what we used to say is, do we have a good business here and it was all these different sorts of things. If everyone is always about to sign up but never does, 
that's a problem. If it's a couple, I mean, we always have some customers too that are always about to sign up while other people are signing up. And so, you know, you kind of have to have a heart to heart with yourself sometimes and saying, is there a good business here? And, and again, I think that um, we always kept, can't come coming back to, yes, we're either had qualitative feedback from customers saying, oh my God, you've saved us so much time. And you're like, okay, we just got to keep working hard to realize that into to, to revenue or to value. Um, or, or we, you know, again, had where the metrics were just growing up and to the right. And all those sorts of things help you overcome the, the customer who hasn't signed the deal yet. Because you're looking at all these other, you have all these other proof points to show, yeah, but all these other things are healthy. It's coming. So what, um, what, was your concern ever that you would, you know, reach and grow with a company of certain size and then uh, down the road they would build something of their own uh, to, and for scaling issues and, you know, better, better performance or, or they didn't want your, their data go, going through some, you know, some other company. Any of those reasons, was that ever your concern? Yeah, of course. There's, I mean, there's always for any founder out there. There will, there's, there's so many objections to start. Starting a company is so hard. I mean, I know that you know Mark Zuckerberg makes it look easy, but come on, like it is so incredibly difficult. I mean, I always say I don't understand why anyone does it, and then people say you know roll their eyes at me. But like all odds are against you. I know that we celebrate like entrepreneurs, but like it is so hard. All odds are against you. It's, it's not, it's, this is not an easy thing. And, and yeah, most don't work. And so, yes, of course, there's lots of objections. There's tons of, I mean, when we first started to build software, I had people, we had, we had folks who said, no one's ever going to change your DNS to you. Now there's a lot of people listening who probably have no idea what that means, but they just said, there's no way a company will ever allow you to run DNS for them. We are now the largest DNS provider in the world. And so it's like, it's easy to come up with reasons why not to do something or what won't work. Again, as an entrepreneur, your job is to just, again, that's why I say momentum conquers everything because you just make progress on these sorts of things. So of course we have objections. This is not, it's, and we still do today. Um, and I think that what um, I remember one, um, George Lee once said this, he runs um, investment banking, you know, tech investment banking and Goldman Sachs. And, you know, if you think about the investment bankers, they get to meet with all the entrepreneurs and, and both the entrepreneurs and the large companies, and they see a lot of different things. They kind of have a finger. And what George said once was, you know, what's amazing, the best entrepreneurs I've seen over my career are the ones who learn really quickly. The rate at which you learn is what set people apart. And that, that, I, I, that I just, I, when, he, when I heard that, I was like, oh, my God, that, that crystallizes so much of what I've experienced, where mm. you hear somebody say, oh, um, they're going to build it themselves, and you're like, oh, my God, am I going out of business tomorrow? And again, we, when we were really small, we used to be like squirrels, thinking people are going to stomp on us, and we were going to go to business at any given time. I feel a little bit less like that today. I have a different set of worries today. But it's, but it's not, but then you're like, okay, what do you, if that's the case, if I think that people are going to build their own, what can we do about it? And it turns out that we make a lot of CapEx investments building a global network. And so for us, we just opened up a data center in, in Colombo, Sri Lanka. And why are we in Colombo, Sri Lanka? Because there's actually a lot of internet surfers in Sri Lanka, and a lot of our customers have visitors from Sri Lanka. And so we went to put a pop there. And wow. again, we just kept executing what we're going to do. And so no, I don't think a business is going to be able to replicate that. 
And some will, and that's fine, but otherwise it just makes sense of having a few, in our case, what we do is edge as a service. There are going to be two to six edge service providers that most businesses around the world will use because it just makes the most, it's the most economically decision for most businesses. There's a ton of network effects in, in um, crowdsourcing the threat data and all these sorts of things that we do that, that it would just would be prohibitive for someone to build it themselves. And there's too much value in, in using someone else's. And so that's what we came up to. But, and today I'm more, much more credible when I discuss that. And we have a lot larger customers choosing us than instead of building it themselves. And we have folks who have tried to build it themselves and said, no way, we can't. It's too much capital intensive. Can't hire the talent. We're definitely going to just use Cloudflare. Um, but, you know, we believe that years ago, too, again, it's up to you to figure out, okay, how are you going to overcome these objections? You're always going to have hurdles and objections. And it came back to, do we have a good business here? And so uh, that's, that's how I thought about it. But yes, it's very normal to have objections and, and having to figure those things out. But I think when you had the $2 million round um, and no, not, not no, but like, few paid customers and but your page views the metric you were using to show momentum is that what you use to convince um uh, your next round of investors to take take a leap of faith in you again i mean i'm until i mean i'm sh i'm not sure did you have the conviction that this is a viable business before that next round and the reason i ask is most founders are fighting with that right like i do i grow revenue do i grow eyeballs and whatever metrics is is the growth I'm tracking that metrics um that you know the right metric to track um what is it that you know it's, it's getting harder and harder not that it was any easier before but it's getting harder and harder to um convince people that this is a good business for the at least the first first few rounds of the company um so unless someone kind of continues to take that leap of faith in you it's hard to keep going with that vision, even if you think you're on the right track. And it's a long-winded way of asking, like, when did you just know that it is a good business? Yeah, well, okay, so um, there's, a, there's a lot. So we, we raised $2 million, and we went to prove that we could do what we said we were going to do. Um, and that included, you know, building out the product. We opened up the pilot. Getting our first 100 customers was so, so so hard um mm. so that was not you know any easier for us uh then we scaled up our pilot to a thousand um and that was all private you know kind of a private beta pilot and then we yeah. launched publicly and this at this point we're still on our original money our original a round and and we had um, launched publicly. When we launched publicly, we had five points of presence. So we had three in the United States, one in Amsterdam, and one in Japan. And we kind of said, that's how Cloudflare is going to make your site faster, safer, more reliable. Um, was, you know, our very first product we released to our first couple customers who tried to get signed up, I was deeply ashamed of, right? Like, you're just so embarrassed. You got to get it out there. You got to get people using it. Even when we launched publicly, there was things that were not ready, not done. We, when we launched publicly, we launched at like a tech event, like a tech conference. We launched at TechCrunch Disrupt at the bot startup battlefield. Because again, we were a totally unknown team. We had to get attention somehow. The, having the deadline that we couldn't move helped our team get things done. It helped get us some partnerships closed. Um, and that was great. And basically, we ran this very private beta from you know zero to 1,000 customers that we had scaled over six months. 
Um, and in the private beta, we had customer. This is what that kept me going at that point of time. I would have customers write to us saying, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever. You guys have saved me. I used to get paged every single night at 2 in the morning because of some attack and some cron job that was getting th thrown off of my site. And now I can sleep an extra two nights, two hours every night because of Cloudflare. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my God, I feel like. Uh, I've been running websites my whole life. No one's ever built any service that cares about us, and I always have to have a big budget to use it. Oh, my God, your free service is amazing. I mean, we just had, again, it was qualitative. Again, at this point, when we ran our pilot, it was just free, so everyone was on the free plan. But, like, the feedback, the the emotional um, responses we got from customers that we didn't know, like that, I mean, I remember I made a montage video of all of what they had said for <laughs> TechCrunch competition. And so, you know, again, as an, and so did I know it was a good business? Absolutely not. But I knew that we were solving a real problem for people. And so that kept me going. Right. And that mm -hmm. made it, and, 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 and again, because early, like the highs and lows are so close together. You have like this customer saying an amazing thing and then five bad things happen the next 20 minutes and you're just like, you know, highs and lows every day and you're just like, oh my God, you, you feel like you're on a roller coaster being whipped around. But there was kind of these things that kept us going and so momentum. And so the customer feedback for us, and again, then you follow by people who were like, there's no way I'm going to use you, right? Again, early on, it's like, okay, we'll come back and try again in a little bit. And so, mm. um, so, so is that. And then, and then we launched at TechCrunch Disrupt, and we just, you know, for us, it took less than five minutes to sign up for Cloudflare. Even to this day, it takes less than five minutes to sign up. And, and again, we didn't even realize this at the time, but we had a lot of folks in the audience that were target customers, and they were all signing up for the service while they sat in the crowd. If you just look, like, our metrics kind of went up and to the right the day we launched and the next day and the next day. And we were just growing really quickly because we got, and and in the word of mouth of it, just, like, got out of our hands. And again, more than, of course, more than we ever could have imagined. And so what happened then was, again, our story was no one knew us. We 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 had raised $2 million, but we were just so heads down working hard. No one knew us in the Valley. And all of a sudden we launched this company that had traction with a thousand people in our pilot with testimonials of it working. And all of a sudden every investor needed to know us. And so they all came to mm -hmm. us. And we, the next month we spent getting to know a lot of folks and we still had a million dollars left from our original $2 million. We were very frugal. I think that, you know, one thing that people don't write about online or, or not as a founder is you should be super frugal because you just, you just spread your dollars as far as possible. And, um, and so, you know, we didn't have to raise money, but we had good traction and that's the best time to raise money when you don't need it and you have traction and traction was not revenue. It was, just new customers signing up and, you know, some page views going through our network. And we only had five points of presence and we ended up raising $20 million basically on that three weeks of data. That's quite impressive. Um, thanks for sharing that. So my question too, that, you know, I was going to ask you a long time ago in, in the earlier part of the conversation was um, uh, you had said fundraising um, is hard, even as a, as a later stage company, um, what, you know, are you comfortable sharing, you know, some some parts of your fundraising journey that you wish you couldn't, you know, you could avoid um, and things you have to gotten better over time with or any story that, you know, founders can find some consolation through through your journey? 
Uh, I mean, the I think that there's so much, you know, there's so many people who have raised money, and there's such, you know, if you ask 10 people, you get 10 different answers, which is why I'm always hesitant to kind of share. Well, that's why we have our I, podcast, because we ask these questions to other, many, many founders. Yeah, exactly. And you get 10 different answers, and it's confusing what to do. So I guess these are the things that I've learned that I guess I wish I had known when we had started. Um, so people matter way more than the firm. Uh, and so I think that we've been, we've always optimized around the, the actual investor, the person and picking the right person versus the firm. And that, and, 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 and I mean, and in some cases we've taken significantly less valuations in our later round because of the person, because we want to go with one person over another and I'm mm -hmm. like significantly lower valuation. And I just think that has served us so well. So today, like we have a very high functioning board. Um, I, you know, they've been terrific partners. They've been helpful to the company. Uh, and, and again, I think it's because we've always optimized for people, not valuation. Um, and so, and, and, and that was never, it's really easy to, to optimize for valuation and not people. And so I think that's been really important to us. I think the other thing is the, some investors match other stages much better than others. And so um, what that sometimes means is you come across someone you really like and you want to work with them, but they're just not the right investor for the stage you're at. And so sometimes you have to walk away, even mm -hmm. if you like the person. And, and, and you know, I, that's not that obvious either, because sometimes you're just raising money and you just want to get the money in the bank. Um, but I do think investors match to certain stages better than others. And the best way to understand that is to reference check. Look at other boards, look at other companies' investments they've made, go talk to those entrepreneurs. I think that's the best. And, and, you'll, and you'll get to see, again, when I was early, I didn't really understand that. But now, again, we, we've done four rounds. Our last round was a $100 million round. And, you know, in our last round, Fidelity led that round with a bunch of, with several strategics, Microsoft, Google, Baidu out of China, um, Qualcomm. And... I just think, you know, again, that was terrific, and Fidelity was absolutely the right person to lead that round, but they wouldn't have been right for our C or B round for a lot of different reasons. And so don't spend any cycles on that, for example, or even strategics early on are tr tricky. And so um, those are some things that I think that we've learned throughout the process that wasn't super obvious when we started, um, but, but, but really important to get right. Do not chase valuation, chase the people. Um, I've heard that many times. It's just very hard when you're fundraising in the middle of it all to kind of uh, figure out what that even means at the time. So, but but it's good. It's a good reminder. Um, so last round, you started a launched a Cloudflare fund. Um, what you know, I'm always curious about where that money comes from and what is the intent there um, that you're looking for. For our fund that we announced today? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, we're super excited. So we we have, um, so Cloudflare is a platform where, you know, again, we help, um, where we have all, 6 million internet properties using us to be more performance, secure, and reliable. And one of the things is we can help become a distribution channel for third-party services who want to access that customer segment. And if you think about what Apple has done for the developer ecosystem for mobile, we want to do, there's nothing like that for the internet. And, and we think we're in a really well good position to do that. Uh, and so 
we've we've run cloud four apps for um, the last five years and today we did a big relaunch of it because we acquired a, a company in december to help us um, execute on our vision and go faster and that's been terrific and as part of that is if you're a developer and so if you're part of you know, you, you do it on your side, or maybe it's, you know, you're, you're um, building a business around it, and you're building the service, you need distribution to, to, again, internet properties, that's really hard to build it on your own. And so Cloudflare becomes a platform where you can get access to that 6 million internet properties to do it. And so as part of that is, the economic incentive is important, you should get paid for these different sorts of things. And, and so, you know, Kleiner was the first to do kind of a um, a fund back when with Sun, uh, when Java came out. They they were the first, mm -hmm. and we've since seen it do it with Apple. And Twilio has a fund that was fifty million dollars. And so we it was really important. Our investors came to us when we bought the company with the, when we bought Eager in December, saying, "Hey, when you relaunch it, we'd love to do an app fund around it to help drive the ecosystem." to help in, encourage developers to build for this platform and for them to be an economic incentive. And, and so it just was a really um, exciting opportunity to help, again, build um, uh, a, a great ecosystem. And you know, I was reading an article with Tim Cook um, over the weekend, and they have 1.5 million app developers building for iOS, for the App Store, which is great, which is a really yeah, big number. big number. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, in 10 years, we should have that same number of people building for Cloudflare. <laughs> and um, so, so that's what, is. what do the developers get um, getting taking money from you versus, uh, versus someone else? So, sorry, say that again. I didn't hear what you said. Um, I, I was curious, what do the developers get? Um, this is this is for you to, you know, maybe get more more folks signing up for getting money from the Cloudflare Fund, but what do they get? Are there any particular resources they have access to the, that they, um, you know, are more excited and inclined to take money from your fund uh, versus some other medium out there? Well, it's more, uh, so the, I think it's, the way I would think about it is if you're building and you're building a service that's targeted to internet properties and this is a great distribution channel and you're early and you're onto something, the fund, just like any venture fund, can help you accelerate your growth and your business and build the business faster. And so Cloudflare, we're not, we're not making the investment decisions. It's, it's uh, the, the, the investors part of the fund. They're, they're the ones who are making the investment decisions of Got which it. ones. But like a company like Viva, which is a multi-billion dollar company, they're all built on, what Viva did is they built their business on top of force.com, like Salesforce's mm -hmm. platform, and they built a very large business on top of that, and Emergence Capital backed Viva, and now they're a public company and whatnot. We want to replicate that through the Cloudflare platform, and so that's what this is. So it's much more, when we say it's a Cloudflare fund, it's not Cloudflare. I am not going to be on the investment committee deciding who gets funded or not. The, the, the professional investors are, but they're interested in helping fuel this ecosystem to really drive true economic growth because they think that there's a lot of business opportunity. Interesting. And so what's Cloudflare uh, participation here? This isn't getting more into the details of the, you know, the, the structure, I guess. But so is it coming out of your balance sheet still or is it their pool or... Um, when they do it's fund, got it. Yeah, it's the ventures pool. Cool. Got it. Um, cool. So I read somewhere that 
you know, your one of your bucket list items is to go public. Um, I'm assuming you're going to do it. I don't want to put you. Um, I don't, I don't want to put you on spot here. But what's after that? What's the next on the bucket list? You know, when when I um, <laughs> when we spend time at, I'm very biased. But when I spend time at Cloudflare, it just feels like we're on to something very big. And we've done a great job executing. We're going to be seven years old in September. Um, but there's so many things left to do. Uh, the and so when when I think about what does the future hold for Cloudflare is. You know, I think, again, I'm very proud of what we've accomplished so far, but we're nowhere near reaching our full potential as a business. You know, our mission is to help build a better internet. And when I meet people, they say, oh, Cloudflare, you're the CDN company, or oh, Cloudflare, you're the DDoS company. And I say, yes, that's a feature we offer. Yes, that is a feature we offer. Mm -hmm. What we're really building is edge as a, edge as a service. And it's everything you buy hardware boxes for as a service out at the edge. And so we do so much more. And so when I think about, like, what's next, it's making it to people, again, what's so clear in our mind, but we're such in early chapters of the story, it gets what's reflected in everyone else's mind. And so when you look at, you know, our product roadmap, it's so incredibly full. And once we start, you know, continuing to launch all these products, people are going to be like, okay, they're definitely... I see why they're not just a CDN, or I see why they're not just a DDoS company. I get that those are all features, and what they're really building are, again, more like um, uh, Edge as a service or Cisco as a service. And and so so that's kind of a big picture of what we see. And so there's just we're such in early innings of how early chapters of how we of what we do what we are going to be doing. And even over the next six months, you know, our product roadmap of what we're going to be releasing is really exciting um, and, 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 and beyond that. And so when I think about, um, you know, going public or all these other things, it just feels like we feel like we're on something big and that means we'll likely be an independent tech company. Like it just feels like we can be a very big independent technology company. And so that at some point that likely means we have to go public because at some point you have to move out of your parents' basement. Uh, and, and that's not, that's just another, it's just another financing event, right? It's just another step on our role. But we want to help take everything that used to be hard on the internet and make it easy. Things that used to be very expensive and make them accessible. And again, that's, that's, what we're, that's why we all come to work. Um, and, and it feels like we're on to, we've done a great job doing that today, but there's so many things left for us to do here. Well, I think it still not, doesn't answer my question. What's on your personal bucket list after going, you know, after taking a company public, well, I mean, I, it's okay. I mean, I'm sure there, or maybe that's it. I don't want to. I, I want to give you an out, but you know, there must be something when you were like in Canada growing up. Um, this was probably maybe one of the bucket list items. There's something else. Maybe go, you know, go travel the world more for fun. I don't know. Just, just, just oh, a fun thing mean, for listeners oh, about you. I thought you meant more. Yeah. Okay, I get. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, no, I mean, again, I think that you know, my bucket list is there aren't you know people try and build. As I mentioned, building companies are really hard, and most don't turn out very well. But if you can, and you know, again, I remember when Eric Schmidt said to Sheryl Sandberg, "If you're ever uh, offered a seat on a rocket ship, just don't ask which seat, just get on." Like now, I understand what he means by that. Like there just aren't that many super interesting companies at any given time growing and that at any given time. And again, it feels like we're on to something. And so my bucket list is seeing it through to its full potential. 
But beyond that, and it's not it's not going public. I, again, that's not that's not on my bucket list. Again, I I think of it much more as we're onto something big at Cloudflare, and I want to see it through. And 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 that 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 is on my bucket list. And feeling like wow, I really helped steer that to its full potential. Because um, again, if we get to 50% of what I think is possible, I will be disappointed. And so that's on my bucket list. But beyond that. I mean, you know, it's so hard. I'm so consumed by Cloudflare. It's hard to think about other things, which is kind of both a good thing and a bad thing. I'm not, I don't, do I think this is my last job in my life? No, like I don't, I'm, not, I'm still fairly young. And so I think I will do other things. What that is, I have no earthly idea. Like I just, and so, so I need to at some point figure that out. But for now, um, you know, I give a hundred percent, hundred and ten percent to Cloudflare. I have a family, so I have I give anything left. You know, my family is incredibly important to me, and then my friends. And so, but I do need to figure out what my bucket list is. I don't have one. I'm just so laser focused on Cloudflare right now. So at some point, I I will build a bucket list. So I guess my bucket list item is to build a bucket. <laughs> well, good answer. Last question. So you think reflecting back is this uh, seven years you've had um a good trajectory you've uh wanted the company to see what would you have done differently um either way good or bad i mean there's different sorts of things like um you know the we've always been very slow to hire slow to put in processes we've kind of always run the company very hot and it's been a conscious choice you know, I think today, and you know, when the first hundred people is just so hard to hire. Um, it's really hard to hire your first hundred team members. And you know, I remember when we hired kind of our first business hire who was more seasoned outside of Matthew and I. He was kind of employed twenty five, and we hired kind of our first, you know, manager on the engineering team. We kind of hired our first VP, and these are all like you know, hundred and some people and how much better it made our lives and how much better it made the company. And so, and even today I see, you know, we just continue to hire terrific people into organization at all levels to help continue to scale. And so when I reflect back, I'm like, oh, I wonder if we had hired that executive a year earlier would have been easier. And so sometimes I wish that we had hired some more senior folks a bit earlier. Now, what people will say on the flip side is, yeah, but, um, you get the wrong person, it's too risky, and will the team accept it? And so you never know, right? Could have, would have, should have. But um, that does, we were very slow, and I think that served us well. But there's always trade-offs to these decisions. Um, I guess I lied. I have one more last question. I, I think I'm really curious to know more about how the market movements um, and the forces outside affect cloud Flare, um, traffic, and, and, and the inner workings of everything that happens on your platform? Well, when it's sunny outside, there's less <laughs> traffic on the internet. Um, when there's, uh, when kids are out of school, there are way more attacks on the internet, or during holidays, the attack traffic goes way up. It is kind of interesting. Uh, there's, so these are some things that are, you know, obvious, not obvious, depending if you think about it. Um, um, so you definitely can see these like microcosms of different sort of trends going on. Um, having set, you, you know, you see adoption of new technology or trend or protocols kind of by regions or 
or um, um, internet um, visitors, which is kind of interesting. But if you take a step back, the um, and so these sorts of things all happen. But like what we see much more are different trends on you know attack patterns, like an attack vector that's very popular, and then a new one starts to grow because again the attackers are constantly pushing kind of like their um, tooling forward, and you see them using different strategies to go and um, attack uh, internet properties online. So we see that happen. Um, a lot of political, like, you know, in areas where there's unrest. So right now there's a lot of things going on between Russia and Ukraine. You know, we see a lot of internet or, properties. Or in, in our backyard, like in D.C. <laughs> right. Well, what you start to see in some of these unrest, unrest is internet properties in those parts of the world need protection because they're getting knocked offline because people disagree. And so they, they start to sign up for a service like Cloudflare to stay online. Um, so, and it, we've, we've seen that many, many times over where it's, um, whether it was Middle East or again, just folk with things where there's uh, unrest, um, people sometimes turn to kind of, I don't, I don't like the word cyber warfare, but cyber warfare and those folks need protection. And so you just see a surge of um, properties, whether it's news news um, organizations or um, nonprofits trying to do work in that area, um, military sites or government sites, who all of a sudden say, oh, "Man, we need to get ready to protect ourselves because we can't do this ourselves." And so that's that's um, um, we just see that over and over again. So yeah, it is. It is. You know, when you the internet never sleeps. And what I say about Cloudflare is a lot of the things that are going on in the world we touch in some way. It's amazing how much the, inf the internet impacts our daily lives, like as consumers and as citizens, and then how much it impacts my my life as, from a business perspective. Um, and so it's complicated. We live in a complicated, it's, it's complex world. Yeah, I mean, you must be helping government's prep for this based on what you just said and that doesn't sound easy yeah no we definitely have a lot of um well even for the u.s election 17 of the 18 pres presidential candidates use cloudflare that's that's amazing so what do you do you have to sign things do you know more about the internet than you should that kind of you know puts you at risk in some way as a company no, we're terrible at that. I mean, we're really, really good at making the internet faster, more safer, more reliable. We're terrific at that, um, and we're very focused on that. We're very, we're, we don't, we're very bad at the, um, the, 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 the reading out trends of what's going on. We're not, we're not, we're just not, we're not good at that. We, you know, we don't keep any of the data, it gets all thrown away, like it's just, there's so many reasons why, but it's just, it's not, it's kind of a complicated, um, that's a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're gearing up for podcast part two, it sounds. Well, thank you, Michelle. This was quite informative, um, and I feel like it can keep going on for a while. Um, the audience, I know, is going to really enjoy this. How do they follow you? Oh, uh, well, I'm on Twitter at, um, my handle is at Zatlin, which is my last name, which is spelled Z-A-T-L-Y-N. So I'm on Twitter, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn under
or Michelle Zatlin. Um, those are the two best ways. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Truthy. Thank you, folks.